Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. And today we have a fellow photobiomodulation expert in the building. It's Sarah Turner. A lot of you probably know her, especially if you're in the biohacking world, Uh, but just a relatively quick overview of her background, and then we'll let her speak uh, kind of on her story herself. Sarah got her uh, postgraduate degree in clinical neuroscience from Roehampton University in London. She holds a Bachelor of Science degrees in uh, psychological sciences and nutritional medicine from Westminster University and is it Tim's Valley? That's always a tricky one for me, Sarah. Yeah, Tim's. Yes. Not Thames. It's Tim's Valley University, uh, respectively. And then currently, she is pursuing a diploma in photobiomodulation uh, at the University of Montpellier in France. So that's we'll we'll dig into that shortly. Uh, and then during the initial decade of her career, Sarah worked as a research scientist in the pharmaceutical industry. And her role involved planning and conducting experiments to examine the impact of electrostatics on physiology. And like I mentioned, Sarah is very active in the biohacking community, and and she has her own podcast, or she co-hosts a weekly biohacking podcast titled Rebel Scientists, uh, Rebel Scientist, excuse me, alongside Russ. So go check that out, guys, Rebel Scientist. And of course, if you're if you're familiar with Sarah, you know that she's a co-founder and CEO of Sarah Thrive, where she spearheads the production of red light, a red light therapy system that specifically targets the gut-brain connection, which I absolutely love and will dig into. But without further ado, Sarah, I'll, I'll stop you from waiting <laughs> and listening about your background, but welcome to the Red Light Report, and thanks for for uh, taking your time to to have some educational moments with us. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be on. It's great. To- yeah, likewise. And just to give the audience a background, Sarah and I met a couple years ago at this point at the the Biohacking Congress in Miami. So we met in person briefly uh, while she was there representing Sarah Thrive and I was there with BioLite. But it's been a couple of years and I'm, I'm sure a lot's happened since then, Sarah. So before we get into that and, and everything Sarah Thrive and what you're doing with that, just give us a background on your path into red light therapy, into photobiomodulation, what sparked your interest and what propelled you to uh, initiate Sarah Thrive? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Well, as you mentioned, I did start off in the pharmaceutical world. So so really my kind of training was in fairly orthodox research. And I spent, you know, about 10 years at various companies. And yeah, I was looking at what affects uh, drug deposition in the lung, actually. I was working in the asthma department. And it was interesting because I got involved at being on a task force to try and look at, okay, why do some devices work and some not? You know, they, they had an issue with one particular device. So it was made out of plastic. You know, we did a lot of experiments. And uh, long story short, we discovered that that it's to do with the electrostatic charge in the body, which affects how, you know, you actually can deal with drugs that are coming in from various devices. And and that really started me thinking about how it's really the condition of the body that's affecting how these drugs are working, you know, not necessarily the drug. Uh, And of course, Glaxo went on to change their their delivery devices to make them less staticky, but it kind of left me realizing, actually, you could probably solve a lot of these issues just by grounding people, you know, because a lot of the 
a lot of the problem was due to just build up of charge you know in people's bodies and then that affects how fine particles deposit and this has effects for all kinds of you know there are lots of fine particles that we encounter in our everyday life you know here I am near London you know with all the pollutants that are going past again it's fine particles and how your body can deal with that depends on your charge so really that set me off looking at a more holistic approach to health I suppose and I did nutritional medicine but found that was fairly limited because there's a huge psychological component that is difficult to tackle when you're just talking to somebody about what they're eating. So I did the neuroscience. And in the end, I, I ended up moving to California and getting involved more so in the in the whole biohacking community, because, you know, as you know, it's a great community where people are looking to take control of their own health. So, you know, optimization, all those fantastic things. So that was kind of my sort of random walk towards looking at these more, I suppose what it used to be called alternative health you know we now say biohacking but really it was kind of looking at different methods of helping people remain healthy that weren't just the orthodox way of doing things and and I got involved in structured water structured water technologies is what I was looking at in California and and how light structures water but because of my neuroscience bent that that kind of led me to think well you know our brains are water if we can structure water with light surely we should be thinking about the brain uh, and so that took me down the whole rabbit hole of photobiomodulation and that's when i discovered there were actually a lot of very credible people already doing it you know it wasn't like a new revelation there are a lot of there are a lot of people that actually are looking for a very long time how to use these light technologies for a brain health application. So really that was that was how I started. I got myself on a trial to kind of see if it worked for myself. So I went off and uh, with Dr. Marvin Berman of Quiet Mind, I helped him with data collection and we were doing um, a dementia study and it became very apparent to me that it was working. You know, even just doing a controlled study and actually just doing data collection you know, the way people were interacting after a few months of being on the study, you could really tell who was on the sham and who was on the active. And I, and that was it. That was probably five years ago. And that started off me thinking we really need to get this out there because, you know, there, for this kind of group, there isn't any other option. You know, we don't really have a, a pharmaceutical intervention for brain health. You know, there's there's no drug for dementia or neurodegeneration as yet. And light therapy works. So why isn't everybody talking about it? And really, that's kind of where I started off. And, you know, I wanted to make a device that was easy and accessible. It took me a little while to kind of find someone to kind of back me in that and actually make it. But now I have, you know, teamed up with the manufacturer and I've kind of got what I think is a good delivery for photobiomodulation, specifically for a brain wellness at the moment it's still wellness but a brain wellness application and that's very interesting i mean that's kind of a similar story to what i had as far as or at least our time journey temporally um i was about five years ago too when i kind of got excited about red light therapy in the photobiomodulation world uh but i'm just curious when you were looking at the market when you saw like okay aha like light affects the brain and we're seeing positive results, like without a doubt. When you went to look at the market, what were you finding that necessitated or motivated you to develop what you're saying is like a more easier, user-friendly device uh, to optimize the brain? Like what was out there four or five years ago when you're uh, kind of in this niche area? Yeah, so when I was doing the research, we were using a, a research device, you know, it was designed and built for research. And it was, you know, a big, heavy helmet, it was covered in fans, because, you know, there weren't any heat sinks on it. And it was, 
you know, you had to put it into the mains. So that was the device that I was using in the research that was actually getting the results. But it was quite difficult. I mean, you know, there's elderly ladies and you're putting that this big, heavy device, you know, watching them kind of sink down in the chair as you put it on. And so really, that's that's why I thought, yeah, this is brilliant, but it needs to be easier and more accessible because not everybody's going to do this. Uh, and at the time, you know, I don't even remember you know really researching what was out there it's like right I want I want this I want a band that is kind of something that's easy doesn't make you feel like too much of a nutcase having this great big thing on your head <laughs> right that everyone can use and there wasn't that available I mean of course there are other companies now and I'm not sure when they started up and they've probably been going for a while like V-Lite comes to mind that is um a transcranial device that is uh, more accessible you know it's something that people use uh, and there are other companies now that have kind of more of a band style but certainly at the time when I was doing the study what was available were these big heavy research helmets right sounds like you needed some neck traction after after wearing <laughs> them interesting and so let's just kind of dig into the specifics and what is the device called is it called Sarah Thrive, the device itself? The device is just called Sarah, spelled C-E-R-A. It's a little bit of a play on, obviously, Sarah, my name. And then also it's a device for the head. So, you know, cerebellum, cerebral. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, but it. But the company is Sarah Thrive because my idea is obviously, you know, the light therapy is brilliant, but there are lots of other things we could do to kind of maximize those effects. So further down the line, you know, I have in my mind all kinds of other supporting products that may come under that Sarah Thrive umbrella. And, and also brain coaching programs, because I think one of the problems that we have in this industry is one, education, and two, people just not being very confident to know how to use these devices. So I'm hoping, you know, I just need a little bit more time after kind of pushing the launch through of the product to set up some courses to kind of guide people through it a bit more so that will also come under that Sarah Thrive umbrella yeah I totally agree and that's partly or one of the main motivators for me starting this podcast was kind of just the the lack and the dearth of education and even to this day it's still not where it needs to be to your point people buy the products because they hear about it from an influencer a friend or family that had great success and they received this cool red light therapy product but they really don't know how to use it or how it's working or, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's cool to have. And on the flip side of that, Sarah, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but red light therapy is pretty cool in the sense that a it's safe and that B overall, as long as you're getting consistent exposure to these red and near infrared lights, I'm speaking about the body as a whole, not, not necessarily the brain isolated, but as long as you're exposing your body to these red and near infrared lights on a consistent basis, you're probably going to see good results. So like if you want these specific results with, you know, gut health or improving your athletic performance or sleep or thyroid, then you probably need to fine tune them. But overall, I don't want to call it stupid proof, but it's relatively easy to use. But I think to your point, there's still a lot of confusion as to how to use it. Right. So uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And I think you are right. I mean, a lot of the time it's just simply getting red light to the body, but it is a confidence thing because it is, you know, for some people it is a little bit far out that, you know, you would use this device that's basically just light and you would put it next to your skin and have a biological effect, you know, and although, you know, when you start to talk to people and you say, well, really, you know how you feel better in the sun and people understand that, I still think as a, as a therapeutic tool, 
it can be, yeah, a little bit different and people just don't know, am I doing it right? Where do I put it? What kind of light? Is it the same as the light that comes off the back of a car? Is it the same as my light bulb? You know, so although for us, it does seem fairly intuitive that you just get a device and put it on. I think there just are still a lot of questions. Uh, and you're right. I mean, like your podcast is brilliant. You know, we just need to get more information out, normalize it a little bit so that people don't find it too much of a stretch that, okay, the simple act of putting light on your body will raise your wellness, you know, however you do it, you know, like you say, you can't really go wrong if you're putting a light device, you know, one of the what one of the good light devices that you've bought from a good company, I hasten to add, you know, you don't want to just put any old light on you, but it, it seems like it should be foolproof. But again, I think it is mainly a confidence thing. People need to know what is it? How do I use it? And am I doing it right? That's a good point, because if you're lacking confidence, and this can go with anything in life, supplements, uh, treatments you're using, whatever, if you're lacking confidence, that can bleed over into the placebo effect. Like if you're not confident in using it, and you're not going to believe that it can work, and then it's less likely to work. So so I certainly appreciate that sentiment. But let's continue along this thought process. Let's see, education. So Sarah, when you were talking about uh, the need for like succinct parameters, what, what was the phraseology you used? Uh, we need to know the wavelength, the time, what we're putting on us. Well, I think in essence, what you were saying was that we need like more consistent education, you were you were saying, you know, this podcast is great for education, but we need like more consistent ways so that people are more confident in using them. And all of that to say that I echo that sentiment based on the research, because a lot of the research, if you look at the very end, it's like, we know that red light therapy can work for da, 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 but we need more and more research so we can get more precise parameters. So like it can be more uh, repeatable or rep, rep, replicable, sorry, at, at home or you know, in the research. So to your point, we need to, and this is going to take time, of course, and, and like a course like yours, or someone who can walk people through the A, B, and C's of red light therapy, kind of like, I don't want to call it a cookie cutter uh, framework, but we need some semblance of that because right now, like I'm trying to um, articulate is that the research is, even the research is still not precise in its parameters, even within the same treatment, let's say skin health, or that's not a good one because most people just use red, but let's say even the brain or thyroid or, or an organ, you can have people treating the exact same thing and using a wide array of parameters and they might all work. And that just leaves a lot of confusion. So again, it's going to take a lot more research to continue to delineate and, and find out more precise and accurate and repeatable parameters. Because I don't know if you've looked at what I've tried to do, Sarah, with my ebook, and it's going to be heavily updated soon as far as giving people some structure with developing protocols. But again, I'm doing it based on the research. And like I just said, the research is relatively, can be all over the place. I mean, there's some things that are pretty accurate, but I mean, what are your thoughts on the current state of the photobiomodulation research world? Well, it is very difficult because I think at the moment we're, you know, sometimes researchers are not noting down all the parameters that they're using. Sometimes the terminology changes drastically. And even if people are noting down all the parameters that they're using, which wavelength, which frequency, which output, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going in. Because, you know, you can have a, you can have different shapes of devices, you can have different styles of 
LED and laser, you can have a lot of things that will affect the input. So, for example, you know, you can say, okay, this is putting out 30 joules per centimetre squared, but we don't know what's going in because there are so many things. You know, what is the distance? Was it flush against the skin? Was it contoured to the body? You know, and then that's not even to say about different kinds of people. What was their skin tone? What was their age? What was their hydration? So I think that is the issue that we're facing is one, you know, for a start, we need people to really report what they're doing in the research and put in every every single parameter because you know if you put in something like 30 joules per centimeter squared there's a lot of ways you can get to that you know and we know you know this is when i bring it back to like making a cake you know you can put a cake in the oven for you know on a certain temperature and do it for 4 days you're not going to get a good cake but you're still going to get the same energetic output as if you put it in the oven for 2 minutes on a really high temperature and exactly. so I think the problem is, one, people are not reporting all their parameters, and two, if they do, perhaps not accurately, and even if they do that accurately, we don't actually know what's going into the body. So that is that is why it's such a complicated subject to really look at. And the other thing is, of course, we don't have tons of research. So it's not like you can really get granular, like you were mentioning thyroid, you know, how many studies are done on thyroid and that use the exact conditions or do they change it slightly and then you're not comparing like with like. And, you know, even like the experts are still not agreed on this. You know, I went to the Walt conference in uh, India this year with the top researchers there. And, you know, even they're kind of debating on how we need to present the data and what parameters are important and which ones aren't. And they're even now, I don't know if you've been researching this a bit, coming up with another unit, which is the Einstein, which is a different unit of calculating dose, which doesn't seem to have filtered down so much to the papers that I'm reading. So I think within the industry, we have got a long way to go until we can really be sure that what the research that we're looking at is something that we can really rely on when we're making our own protocols. So where, where we're at in the industry right now is kind of, okay, let's do the best we can. Let's record our own data. Let's make sure, you know, we're, we're making sure we publish everything that we can on our own parameters. So if people go back and review it, at least they can see everything that was done. And then it's, it's you know, the grind of collecting data. You know, what happened to that person when you did that parameter? How can you finally tune that, making sure everything's documented? I think this is where my kind of GlaxoSmithKline days, you know, all of that did pay off. Because obviously, if you're doing, if you're doing pharmaceutical data, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to report everything, everything has to be documented in in a very strict way. And perhaps because, you know, some people who are coming into this industry are not coming from that orthodox science world, we don't have everything reported in that really kind of methodological way like what exactly did you do and how exactly did you deliver the light but I think you know obviously if you know there are like the Shepherd University you know there are people who are trying to standardize that so it can only get better going forward you know once we have some standardization within the industry then we all know okay this is how we express dose for example then we can really start to compare the studies Maybe they'll switch the AI on. This is where I think they need to switch put all of the data into, you know, like a big data cruncher so that you can go down and say, okay, these are the parameters that seem to be the most important. Exactly. Uh, 
because there's just a lot of there are a lot of differences you as you know you know the wavelength can be different the output can be different uh the pulsing can be different there there are so many parameters that it's difficult to compare the studies sometimes at this point i'm sure you guys have heard of methylene blue especially if you've been listening to this podcast you guys have heard me shout from the mountaintops the many benefits of methylene blue so methylene blue is a major major mitochondrial booster it has a lot of similar properties as red light therapy but they actually work slightly differently as far as how they derive their benefits to the mitochondrial function a couple of the my favorite aspects include the fact that when you ingest it the majority of the methylene blue ends up in your brain so that's why you see these amazing cognitive mental energy boosts from methylene blue. It can even stave off or prevent or reverse some types of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. This is my second favorite part about it. The methylene blue has this innate sense to help cells that have the most mitochondrial dysfunction first before helping other cells. So not only does it help cells that need the help most, but again, most of the methylene blue ends up in your brain where, as you all know, that is the most mitochondrial dense tissue in the body. Thus, that's why you see all these amazing benefits with the brain with methylene blue. And then thirdly, red light therapy and methylene blue are major synergists. So of course you have your independent benefits when you just use methylene blue or red light therapy. But when you combine them together, you amplify the benefits of one another and you get the synergistic response. So anyone that's interested in red light therapy should at least be considering or looking into the many benefits of methylene blue. And as you know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast, my company BioLite has recently released an enhanced methylene blue product that includes certain ingredients like NMN that further boost the energy production of the mitochondria. It also enhances the photodynamic activity already associated with methylene blue by including colloidal gold, colloidal silver, which have their own antimicrobial or cognitive benefits, silver and gold respectively, but they also have their own photodynamic benefits as well. So again, you're amplifying the benefits of red light therapy when you ingest BioBlue. Lastly, fulvic acid helps you absorb anything that you're consuming when you're also taking it with fulvic acid so it drives everything deeper into the cells when you take bio blue it helps further absorb the methylene blue the nmn and the colloidal gold and silver so you get this enhanced methylene blue product with bio blue and so of course for my loyal listeners especially you guys that have listened this far into the ad in the middle of the episode here i'm going to give you guys an exclusive 15 percent discount on your order of bio blue and you can apply that to a single pack or a double pack or a four pack or a 10 pack. And of course, with a larger quantity, you actually get an increased discount. Simply use coupon code BIOBLUE15 at checkout. That's BIOBLUE15 at checkout. And you can snag that 15% discount off your order of BIOBLUE. So if you're interested in seeing what all of the excitement around methylene blue is about from its ability to improve cognition, energy, improve mitochondrial function, and furthermore, help mitigate or prevent things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and depression, pain, cancer, go ahead and give BioLite's Methylene Blue Enhanced product, BioBlue, a shot and see what you notice, especially when you combine it with your red light therapy treatments. And then to your point, uh, to stack on top of those variables, it's like, what about the person being treated? What about their age, gender, skin tone? Because all of that affects it to some degree. So it is kind of like a, it's a pish posh of variables and like, it's tough. And so when people ask you, Sarah, like, I don't know if people ask you for specific protocols or like, how do I treat this or how do I use this device for that? What, how do you answer that? I'm just kind of curious from your viewpoint, given your, your eloquent answer on, on the research, like how do you inform a lay person 
about the lack of clarity in the uh, in the research while giving them some something to chew on or like something they can take home as far as using for themselves? Like if they're trying to ask you a question about a device and how to use it. Yeah. So from my point of view, I've tried to look at, right, what it does seem to be the most effective dose of light. So that's something that I've really tried to look at. And it seems like around about between like 10 and 50 joules per centimeter squared delivered over like between like three minutes and 20 minutes. You know, that seems to be, if you go through all the literature, a reasonable dose of light. You know, I'm trying to think of it in drug terminology sometimes because I think, okay, this is this is actually medicine. You know, light is actually medicine. So we want to kind of give people a dose, you know, like you'd say two tablets every day, you know, one spoonful. You need to kind of have that in mind. So I I've kind of settled on an average of around 30 joules per centimeter squared delivered over, you know, between 10 and 20 minutes gives one dose, like one tablet, if you like, one spoonful of light. And so then that's kind of roughly where I've worked out with my device. And then also I can kind of equate that to other devices that are out there. You know, so if someone comes to me and says, oh, I have X device, I can kind of look at, okay, what is the output? Then, you know, let's try and modulate that so it fits around, you know, right. that one kind of tablet or one spoonful advice. And and for most devices that are on the market, they they are between those ranges because most devices are kind of using a similar output. And like you say, it's difficult to overdose on light. You know, you really do have to go for it to really have any kind of detrimental effect. I know we have this biphasic dose response curve that people talk about, and we're still to kind of really hone in on the sweet spot there. But, you know, it really is a long way out that you would really have to overdose it. So for most people, if they're using a red and near infrared light for any kind of application you know if it's within that kind of power output then using 10 and 20 minutes you're going to see an effect and then what I do with my device is I I've got a a programmable app that has very simple easy to understand like words like relax meditate resilience and it's all done for them you know they just press that button and off it goes and it runs a program which is in my device 10 minutes But I think, you know, you said, you know, it's fairly foolproof. Really, it's just about for a lot of people, especially people who are depleted or have pain or have an issue, it's just about getting light into their system. So a lot of the times you can't really go wrong to say, okay, if you've got a a good device that's from, you know, a, a good company, you know, one that you've researched, it's not just something that you've kind of bought off Amazon and you don't know where it's come from. But as long as you bought it from a good company, 10 minutes a day is going to help you a lot. You know, that's a good place to start. Uh, and then I say with my device, yeah, I, I do it via an app and let people select a program because it kind of takes away some of the, the the stress of trying to do it. Although, you know, if you work one-on-one with someone, it, it's a lot easier. You know, you can then see how people are going because, you know, side effects, side effects, I'm saying, effects of maybe overdoing it is you might feel a bit dizzy or you might feel a little bit off you know there there are certain things where you can say okay maybe we'll dial it back nothing happening maybe we'll crank it up a little bit but really it is an individual thing and I think that is the good thing about these light therapy devices is that it allows you to have a bit more control and as long as you kind of got a little bit of intuition about what's going on most people can kind of modulate the dose for themselves considering you know you're going to do somewhere between two and 20 minutes and you're going to do somewhere between like three and five times a week. 
depending on what's going on. Yeah, those are all great points. And I just want to back up to when you're talking about another variable, which is like there's a limitless choice of which device or company to choose from these days. And most devices or most companies fall into a certain light irradiance range. But I would ask you, and I don't know how much you've looked into this, is that a lot of these companies that tout 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared or 120 or 150, when there's been so-called third-party testing, like independent people testing these devices, they're actually 20 or 30 or 50 or 80 or even 100% or more. The light radiance is that much less compared to what they're reporting or what they're putting on the website. And so people are getting these devices thinking it's putting out 100, but really it's putting out 80 or 70 or 60. And so when that kind of came into the limelight recently, that's when I initiated having all of BioLite's products third-party tested to verify the red and the near-infrared light, but equally, maybe more importantly, is to verify the light irradiance. Because like you and I are talking about, there's there's a lot of variables, but but the power output or the light irradiance might be the top one, because like you said, you can kind of vary that based on your distance. And so as long as you know that, that number, then you can dictate your distance to either increase the light irradiance by getting closer or decrease it by getting farther away. And like you're saying, if you're going for a certain amount of joules, you kind of need to know that light irradiance that has to be accurate. And so if you're trying to build this protocol, or even if someone comes to you, Sarah, and they're saying, I have this device, it puts out this output, and then you're giving your suggestion based on that light irradiance, which is actually false, then the whole paradigm or the whole protocol kind of crumbles. So again, kind of to, to cut to the chase here, kind of Biolite's initiation with the third-party testing is to hope that the rest of the industry follows so that regardless of what company you're using, as long as you know the true light irradiance, then you can build a true and accurate protocol. And so, again, I don't know how much you have dug into that as far as the industry and kind of the lack of third-party testing or the lack of light irradiance, but I'd love to get your insight. Uh, Someone else who's kind of an expert, not kind of, who is an expert in this a photobiomodulation world and kind of your thoughts on surrounding this the third party testing aspect and or this prevailing inaccuracy of light irradiances for the mass uh market it, it is such a tricky one because i've had various i've gone to various third party institute i mean i've even gone to the institute of photonics here in in the uk and it really depends on how you're measuring so i totally applaud what you're doing but what we need is, OK, how exactly is that done? Because it depends on the sensor and, and it depends on the calculation because you can you can calculate like something like a centimeter squared or you can have a round sensor that takes into account like the emission from a single LED. There are so many different ways, even within like the, the regulatory bodies that are doing all of this there's still variation but in the machines that they're using and the way they're doing the calculation so i think you're right we do, it would be great if we if every company said right okay this is the method we're going to use but even that you know there is it's still a little bit fraught because these numbers you know you can say okay we're going to measure it and we have to use a sensor that's 1 centimeter squared for example but some devices have LEDs that are closer together than others. And then you have this effect of interference or convergent beams from 
from lights coming from other places. Like my device also wraps around. So potentially you're getting a convergent beam. You're not just getting the output from one of the LEDs. You're also getting all of the LEDs focusing on one point in the middle of the body, like a knee, for example. So it still is complex, even if you involve like these third parties who are kind of doing the measurement. But certainly I think it would be the first place to start is, OK, we'll all decide. Everybody in the industry will all decide this is the measurement we're going to use. That You know, this is the third parties that are able to give that measurement. You know, they've got a stamp. And then I think we would all be on a level playing field, at least with the output, not so much the input, because, you know, as I've said, there's all kinds of things that are going to affect that but it would be a brilliant place to start let's set it up right now we're going to we're going to form a, a union or a guild of light therapists where we all agree to a standard because i think that is what it's going to take because then we all know what the medicine is because at the moment you know we're all kind of talking about the fancy bottles for the medicine you know this delivery system that delivery system but the medicine is the light so i think you're you're totally right it need the way that we measure the output from the devices does need to be standardized and there needs to be recognized places where you can go and get it certified to say this is the output according to this company but in order for that to make sense we have to find different places that are all going to measure to the same the same way otherwise you know we still can have vast differences you know of like 10 times you know i've seen it where you can if depending on what sensor you're using and how you do the calculation you know you can have wildly different results so with my company we do try to say okay this is the machine we use this is the setting that we used and this is the output that we got and and then it's it's transparent somebody might find a different reading on their own meter but that's how we're that is the measurement that we're using but i do think there will come a time where this has to be standardized because then everybody in the, in the industry knows, okay, this is a dose of light that's coming out. Then we can argue, of course, about how we kind of make it go in the body better, how we optimize absorption, how we can, you know, use contoured lights, different kinds of lights. But I think the first thing is we need to all agree on who will measure the light, what will be their standard and what will be their measurement and how they will deal with these awkward things like, you know, some some LEDs kind of point outwards, some point in, you know, then what happens on the crossbeam? Does that matter or not matter? Having said all that, and everyone's like totally confused and like they're never going to buy a light device. Yeah. Having said all of that, like I say, most of the companies that are put, putting out this data, you know, there is a slight variation, but you are getting a good dose of light. You know, if companies have kind of like you or I are kind of looking to go through the FDA or people have have been out there for a long time, they're du doing due diligence, they're going to be giving a reasonable dose of light. And so you can at least be confident if you're getting a red light device from one of these companies. Yeah, there may be a slight variation in the output depending on how you measure it, but you are getting a good dose of light that you can work with and work with your own body and find out what works for you. Yeah, that's a great answer, uh, Sarah. And this is a conversation I had with Alan Dykstra, I don't know if it was our first or second conversation, but he was also explaining like when you're going to measure a laser, but especially an LED, just the way the light spreads and where you have the meter, like at any given moment, it can change just the, based on how the photons are, are leaving the LED. And then to throw in more variables, even on top of what you're talking about, um, you can use 
uh, just a laser. You can use a 30 degree lens with an LED. You can use a 60 degree lens. And that that is going to change the concentration of light as it leaves the LED, which there's pros and cons to either of those. But again, it just throws in yet another wrench, another variable. And, and like, again, if you're a layperson listening to this <laughs> episode, you might be a little demoralized about looking into red light therapy. But again, the take-home point is we're just talking about all of the very deep intricacies, the overarching concept and fundamentals of red light therapy and how it impacts health are still there. Um, and like we've said a couple of times now, as long as you're getting consistent exposure to this red and near infrared light on a consistent basis, you're likely going to be doing a lot of good for your health and your mitochondria. So we're just getting into the nitty gritty details because like you and I are geeks about this and we just want to see the best for the industry and ultimately the best for for the people using or wanting to apply red light therapy to their lives. So yeah, I mean, this is a great conversation and I, and I love, love having these. Uh, another point I was going to bring up was I think it was in my second conversation with Dr. Praveen Arani, I think it was this summer, we talked about this exact same thing, third-party testing, how we need some standardization in the research and with products. And he mentioned that, I don't know if it was Walter, a different overarching uh, organization, but they're trying to have a like a one-stop shop where companies could go to have their their products tested. Kind of like you were alluding to, like if we could have just like one company that used the exact same measurement system for all devices, at least we'd have some sort of standardization. Of course, it's never perfect, like you said, but at least it'd be something to hang our hat on, so to speak. So I don't know yeah. what the answer is, Sarah. I think we're slowly but surely headed in the right direction, but a lot of work I ahead. I think so, because, you know, company like you and I, we're kind of on the same page. Everybody I talk to say, OK, we need to have this standardization. We go to these big events. People are trying to make it happen. So I think it's just a question of time as light therapy becomes more recognized as a legitimate therapeutic tool and light becomes recognized, you know, as working as effectively or if not more so in some cases as a drug. Then I think this standardization thing will happen. And, you know, there are so many people talking about it. And it would be cool if we had, yeah, this is one place where you can send your devices and you know you're getting this recognized stamp. But I think at the moment, as long as people are documenting their own output and how they are measuring it, at least that's reproducible. And you can kind of say, okay, using that particular method, you know, we know exactly what's coming out. But it, it is all just adding to like the, the the more and more data that's building and building and building to show the validity of this kind of technique and, and why it's so important. But why we're so fussy about the standardization is because, you know, we, we it's kind of going to explode soon as people really start to realize how much you can do with light. Yep. And why we're not, you know, why are we not? doing more with it up to now you know we just need to start people just need to start getting the message and we more funding needs to be directed to this research but I do think it's coming there certainly seems to be a lot even in the five years that I've kind of been looking at it there's a huge amount more interest than there was and it's no longer seen in a lot of circles as a fringe medicine now you know I, in like I mentioned to you I went to India you know there's big departments there that are using light as a as a first course of action for some some of these illnesses things like diabetes you know big problem in India and some of the hospitals are now using light therapy you know before they use any other therapies so I think it's just a matter of time really do you know what apparatus is used for diabetes is it uh, it's not intravenous is it are they doing just basic exposure <laughs> No, they were just doing exposure. Yeah, they they had all kinds of devices there. They had LED, they had laser, but yeah, they had a lot of doctors 
uh, at the conference in India talking about how they were using light for all kinds of things. I mean, a lot of diabetes because that's their main main issue out there and that was the main issue of that particular hospital but I mean there was even lady there talking about as a first course of action for snake bites and you know all kinds of very interesting gruesome I have to say gruesome images that I may never forget but yes things all kinds of first course of action they're using um, laser and LED in in some of these hospitals that's awesome I mean I think as time goes on we'll continue to find more and more ways that we can wield this red and near infrared light for our own health or recovery or being proactive and preventative. I mean, I I, th- I think there's a lot to uncover still, and that's part of the exciting um, aspect of red light therapy. But especially with your background, Sarah, uh, in pharmaceuticals, could you give the audience kind of a synopsis of, I guess, pharmacology and light sensitivity? Because that's kind of one of the variables, like if you're taking a particular pharmaceutical, some are light sensitive because some can like and inhibit or uh, exponentiate the the effects of a certain uh, pharmaceutical, right? So can you kind of just give us some education around that aspect? And then along with that, are there any, not necessarily pharmaceuticals, but maybe adjuvants or supplements that would amplify the benefits of red light therapy? I kind of loaded you with a lot there. Let's just tackle the pharmacology first. Okay, and I don't know how much help I'm going to be on that. Actually, that's a whole subject, isn't it, where they use light-activated drug delivery. So they're they're actually delivering a drug and then they're using the light to activate that. But I don't know a whole lot, actually, about which drugs they're doing that for. Any, you know... Anything with an aromatic ring is going to kind of resonate to a certain degree with light. So, you know, that's a lot of drugs. And it's not just drugs. It's a lot of uh, kind of substances that we ingest, too. There's a name for it. And I can't remember, Mike. What do they call it? There's a a technical name for that photoactivated drug delivery. Autodynamic therapy. Therapy. Thank you. Yes, that's right. But I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, because I have a background in nutrition, I'm trying to like, I was thinking, God, what could we use that would really accelerate like something like reducing inflammation with light and, you know, anything that's, that's really colored, I would think would have an effect, you know, like turmeric, you know, bright yellow. So I would think, okay, taking something like that as an anti-inflammatory and then doing your red light therapy, that would be a good thing to do. I mean, seriously, seriously, ingest these colorful supplements so to speak before red light therapy to kind of amplify one another's benefits in that sense in- yeah well, that's just my theory i don't actually yeah, have yeah. any up right now but i was thinking yeah that would that would make sense and that's something that i'm looking at to do maybe light activated supplements would be cool and of course the biohackers are all into methylene blue right taking methylene blue as the same at the same time as doing red light therapy because that has a complementary effect on the mitochondria and how the mitochondria is kind of dealing with oxygen. You know, you have this synergistic effect, but that's something that's not so freely to a lot of people. I know there are some companies now that are making a methylene blue supplement, but it's not totally available worldwide. And we, uh, the BioLite, we just released a methylene blue product. I did not. It's called BioBlue. And the same guy, uh, David Hornick, he's brilliant who created our our cream, which has ingredients that's supposed to enhance the, the benefits of red light therapy. He helped create this bio, or the methylene blue product, which has particular ingredients to further enhance the mitochondrial boosting benefits and the photodynamic properties of red light therapy. 
So it's the the typical uh, pharmaceutical grade methylene blue 1% solution. And then we added NMN to help with the mitochondrial boosting, energy boosting properties, and then some silver and gold nanoparticles or colloidal gold and silver for their various antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, cognitive boosting, photodynamic properties, and then fulvic acid, because fulvic acid helps drive whatever you consume and absorb it better into your cells. So the theory is with that fulvic acid, that whole methylene blue product, you'll better absorb it into your cells, the NAD or the NMN and such. So that's our, our take on methylene blue. And we just released it like three or four weeks ago. So it's very new. Right. And can you get it everywhere or is it just yeah. in the yeah, it worldwide? Oh, that's super cool. Well, there you go. After this call, I'll be on it because, you know, that's I think that that they're great adjuncts to red light therapy. Anything that's kind of going to boost your mitochondria, you know, doing it at the same time as red light therapy. Well, yeah. and especially for what you're doing, Sarah, with your product, of course, most of methylene blue after it's done helping out whatever cells need the help most in your body, most of it accumulates in your brain. And then you throw on that Sarah device and like you got this powerful cognitive brain boosting therapy in, in the comfort of your home. You done. That's, I'm going to order as soon as I get off the show for sure. Because yeah, that's something that I've been looking at and it's something, I mean, before I could, I had years ago did some testing with methylene blue, but I could only get like the liquid that you know, it's like a reagent and you're meant to clean your fish tank with. So yeah. I kind of did it for a little while and then thought, oh, I, I don't know whether. But it it is interesting that, that people are starting to think about, OK, what kind of supplements are going to be like activated? How can I really get the most effect out of these devices? Because I think there's a lot of things you can do. With my device, I've just got a guy who's a brilliant guy who's doing breathing exercises. So for every program I have, I have sounds that go with the kind of oscillations and then breathing exercises to you know because you can oxygenate oxygenate your body that way you know anything that you can do to maximize the effect of these devices it's kind of going to give you the edge so yeah any kind of aromatic substance or like your methylene blue what, what's it called bio blue did bio you say blue, yep. yeah yeah that that's the kind of thing that i think yeah people can do to to just go another step and enhance what they're doing with the red light. And you said, Sarah, that you've, you've tried, have you tried methylene blue? Like, uh, have you had access to any to try and kind of notice what it does when you combine it with your Sarah product? I, I haven't done a serious study. I had Troscriptions, which is a, oh. a company that makes methylene blue. I think that they've also got some kind of, they call it hemp crystal, but I don't know if that's like a CBD kind of uh, supplement but I didn't you know I had a few weeks supply of that and and I did feel very energized when I was doing the red light and taking that methylene blue but you know I kind of don't I feel quite energized anyway you know it's time to go it's not like I kind of am on the floor and then I felt totally energized but certainly from a scientific theoretical point of view I can really see how it would have that effect so yes I and I think that there are people now who are doing long-term trials I think like even like Dr Francisco Gonzalez Lama in uh, Austin Texas has done some some serious study into methylene blue and, and photobiomodulation and seen some some great effects of that so yeah that is definitely something that I would do even though you know I don't have a great place you know I don't have a huge jump to, to increase energy 
But long, t- you know, this is the long term game as well. We might not see some of these effects, but this is what we're doing for our long term health to ma- to maintain where we're at. You know, even if we don't feel like we haven't got very far to go right now, you want to keep that up. So I would definitely do that on a long term basis with the red light, even if I wasn't seeing the game, because I really do believe that long term, you know, that is going to have a beneficial effect. Especially especially with the brain. And to your point, like, and this is the same thing with red light therapy, with methylene blue, the healthier you are, the less you're going to notice. That doesn't mean it's not having a benefit. Like you're saying, if we're looking for the long-term game, we're looking for longevity, vitality, it's still a benefit to utilize. Uh, same thing with red light therapy, kind of the the opposite mindset of the sicker you are, the more you're going to notice. You're going to be like, wow, this red light therapy thing is amazing. And then it's yeah. probably going to taper off or plateau as, as you get healthier. But again, that doesn't mean it's not working. You're just, you're playing the long-term game. You're using red light therapy and or methylene blue prophylactically because you know it's benefiting you and, and compounding your health for the long-term. So yeah, big fan of, and that's what I noticed too, Sarah, when I initially started tinkering with, with methylene blue, just a clean energy. It's not like this caffeinated, hopped up energy. It's just like, you can... I could feel it in my brain, but it was just like this clean energy, kind of like when you first hit uh, ketosis, like you finally get into that ketotic state and it's just like, wow, I have energy. I'm not jittery, but it's just like there's clarity, motivation, just like, I don't know how to explain it. Otherwise, just clean energy. So anyway, let's dig more into your device. I know we kind of, we, we've touched on it here and there, but let's let's touch more or let's dig deeper into it. This Sarah device. Uh, we were speaking briefly before we started recording that the launch of this device is going to be hopefully early December. That's right. So, yes. Okay, perfect. So let's dig more into that device. What is it? What's the thought process behind it? And and it's a gut brain access. Yeah. The gut and brain health, right? So let's get yeah. into the gut health aspect as well. Yeah. So, so this is kind of the fruits of my like uh, doing all this research in how best to deliver light for the brain. And, and so it does have the headband because one of the things that I, I was kind of discovering in my research is, you know, there are a lot of barriers to getting light actually onto the surface of the brain. Uh, Obviously you've got to get through the skull, which is a big barrier, but also hair is a barrier, you know, and, and because I, you know, you're talking about something that a lot of people are going to use, you just don't know what kind of hair people are going to have. And if you have very thick, dark hair, you know, you're going to get a lot less light than if you if you have pale, fair hair or no hair at all. So the device goes across the forehead because that's kind of for most people, that's a, an entry point where you it's accessible. You haven't got a hair barrier. And also it's the prefrontal cortex behind there, you know, where a lot of the action happens. And even, you know, if you're talking about deep brain structures, most of them have projections that go out to the frontal cortex. So the device goes across the the front of the forehead. I do have one little unit that goes on the cerebellum, which potentially if you've got a ponytail or something, you can kind of tuck up under there. Uh, There's also a lot going on there. And and I wanted to, to have that in there. But I think most of the light is actually going here where we don't have any hair on the frontal cortex. And it's actually light clusters. So I have four light clusters, one in the middle of the forehead, like the the left and the right hemisphere, and then one on the back. And that's deliberate because, you know, later on down the line, we may found out for light is better to deliver into one hemisphere. We may found out we just want to, you know, do it into the center. And then the other the other thing about this headband is it uses four wavelengths. 
because as as we know, there are a lot of different light receivers in the body. And I thought in order to maximize the chance of getting most of the light receivers, I'm going to do four wavelengths. So we have red, which probably isn't getting to the surface of the brain. You know, that's what the one that's only only penetrates the skin. But to get like the skin and the blood around the head, not such a bad idea. And then uh, 850, 940 and 1070, which are the longer wavelength light, which probably will get on only a very surface of the brain. You know, I think people are surprised to learn that probably only between one and three percent of light that you shine through the skull actually gets to the brain. It's a very small amount to have such a profound effect, you know. So, yeah, a small amount of that light's getting through probably received by the mitochondria, maybe that long wave, you know, above 900 nanometers is getting absorbed by the water and maybe that's having an effect on structured water in the brain. That's kind of a mechanism that people, it's not fully understood, but I'm I'm thinking that that is going to be something that's researched a lot more in the future as people start to understand that this concept of structured water and biologically how that has an effect. So that's the brain piece. And then as well as having those four wavelengths, also I can pulse that light at different frequencies that match brainwave frequencies. So there's a lot of data in the research about gamma frequency, like a 40 hertz pulsing or an alpha, which is a 10 hertz pulsing. So I've got uh, 7.8, which is low alpha, which is also kind of uh, like a Schumann resonance, how the earth is resonating, uh, 10, 40 and 100 hertz, which 100 hertz, that was really came out of research on ultrasound actually in meditators because they found if you if you use an ultrasound pulsing at that very high 100 and 200 hertz it helps people get into meditation quicker and for longer so, and so, yeah it's it's interesting data and i kind of contacted the the it was it was done at arizona um contacted them and said do you think this would work if you know if you had a different source you know not sound but light and they're like yeah we think so so you know i have that high frequency in there so that that means that what I'm doing mainly with the headpiece is you are getting some photons, but you're, the main effect is that you're kind of being able to entrain these brain states by oscillating the light. And then to actually get a lot of light into the body, that's where I'm using this systemic effect. You know, you can shine light onto one part of the body and it has a, an effect on another because, you know, the body is totally dynamic and interconnected, of course. So I use a gut panel because now, you know, there's so much data that a lot of chronic illness starts in the gut. And really our gut, you know, when they say, oh, it's a second brain, it really is a second brain. You know, it has neurons, it has neurotransmitters, it does information processing. So to target that area to me made a lot of sense. I mean, ultimately, I'd like to kind of do the research for chronic health conditions, but even just for how your brain is operating, You know, if you've got a healthy gut, if you've got good integrity in your gut, if everything's going well there, you have less brain fog, you can think better, you know, everything is working more optimally. And you and it's a good area to get light into. You know, you only get between like one and three percent of light onto the brain, but actually you get a lot of light that shines through the gut. You know, there's not there's there's not so many barriers there to impede that light. And so I use red and near infrared, just two wavelengths on the gut panel. And and the way it's set up is that you do both simultaneously. So you're getting a lot of light into the body at the same time that you are kind of entraining the brain waves. So it is meant to be a dual system. And I call it gut-brain connection because really, you know, the gut and the brain are talking to each other all the time. You're stimulating the gut. The gut is going to be sending those messages to the brain. 
So it makes sense for me to do both of those organs at the same time. Interesting. And I love that. The gut and the brain. Man, where to go from there? I love that. And I was what I've told people over, I don't know, the past couple of years now, like my top three places to treat on a consistent basis, regardless of my health status, is my brain. So treating my prefrontal cortex, you know, at least once a week, treating my gut. At least one, like no, no rhyme or reason, but just, you know, to keep up the health uh, prophylactically. And then uh, my mouth, like with uh, our guardian, we have just a a mouth device to enhance the oral cavity because as I've learned from many biological dentists, of course, the oral cavity affects your entire system. So you almost have this nice trifecta and triangle of cleaning up your oral system, your oral microbiome. Uh, your gut and your gut microbiome, and then of course the gut brain axis, but then also treating your gut directly. Like if you're doing those three areas, to your point, like systemically, you're probably going to be doing pretty darn well overall. And I like your idea of putting it in the mouth, actually. I wish I'd thought of that because, you know, a lot of nitric oxide is, you know, we, we make it in our mouths, you know, and nitric oxide is a molecule that, you know, we know it's released with with red light therapy, but it's something that, you know, is hugely important for the body, you know, it's intrinsic to our health, you know, and when you hear how it's really the bacteria in your mouth, you need to have good bacteria there to make that nitric oxide. And, uh, you know, I listened to a talk at the biohacking event saying the worst thing you can do is kind of do these horrible mouthwashes where you kind of get rid of all the bacteria in your mouth because you get the, you're getting rid of the good and the bad, and then you're depleting your ability to make nitric oxide you know, all of it has a knock-on effect. So I think you're right. That would be a great thing to do. Headband, gut panel, mouthpiece. That's You're kind of getting everything. Right, I like it. I really like it. Because we do need to, to think of ourselves, you know, we are more bacterial cells than we are human cells, which is a freaky thing to think about, actually, who's running the show. But if we look after our microbiome, you know, make sure that we have got good microbiome in our mouths and in our gut, that is probably the fastest way to have good brain health, actually. And I think that is one of the main benefits of a lot of these devices is that you're supporting the body to return to its own homeostasis. You know, things get thrown out, bad food, bad diet, too much Wi-Fi, too much time inside, you know, all of those things accumulate, upset our microbiome. And then that's what's having a knock-on effect, you know, on our brain health and our ability to think. And of course, when that our ability to think gets knocked out, then we start to make wrong choices and it turns into a terrible spiral of, you know, wrong health choices leading to bad bacteria, leading to wrong health choices. So any things you can kind of stop that, like, yeah, make sure you're looking after the bacteria in your mouth, you know, make sure you're kind of targeting your brain, target your gut. Yeah, I think that's it's probably one of the number one things you can do for your health and it's so easy, right? Like you said, just once a week, you put a light on your gut and it kind of tops you up. You know, it it's sort of like amazing that people don't do it all the time because, you know, we're not talking about sitting in an ice bath or running a marathon or, you know, it's right. not something difficult. These, these are very, very low hanging fruit with regards to what you can do. I mean, like my, my panel here, my gut panel, because I t- kind of have taken away the wires and it's got a battery, I can kind of do it in the car or I can kind of do it, you know, I can even do it while I'm sitting here talking to you and I've done my session for the day. It's it's an easy add into your day that doesn't take anything additional, really. I think that's 
when I was designing it, that's really what I had in my mind. There shouldn't be an extra thing that you have to do because people have got too many things already. It needs to be something easy that you just put it on and and you're done. You know, you've done your 10 minutes for the day. So, but yeah, I like your idea. I'm going to get one of you out. I'll integrate that too, because any, any little, any little gain is a win, right? We're talking, you know, we're talking about just little tiny improvements that add up, you know, add up cumulatively over weeks and months. And then you find, you know, you've had a radical shift in your health just by doing these kind of little, just little changes that really don't take that much effort. And I think that's to your point about finding ways for or developing red light therapy products that you can integrate into your lifestyle versus like you're saying, set aside time and energy. Some people can, and they probably enjoy that. And it's like a nice, restful, peaceful time if you can set aside 10 or 15, 20 minutes. But I think the majority, it's like, we're all on the go, go, go. Um, Especially if you have a family, it's like nonstop. So to your point, if there's like, you're just laying in bed or reading a book or like you and I are talking right now, like there's ways we could be integrating it. And that just decreases the friction or the barrier to entry into red light therapy. And ultimately just you're helping people help themselves by not having them have to dedicate time. Right. So I think that's where the industry as a whole is headed. There's a time and place for panels. That's been a nice, like beginning of the industry, so to speak for, for the consumer. But I think as we go forward, we're going to find more and more companies developing products that are just like seamlessly integrated into your life. Like I'm looking or wondering who's going to develop the first thing for the car. So like when you're driving to work, it's like, but but, that, but then that also begs the question, like, how are you going to get your skin exposed while you're in the car? So that's probably the. My top. I just have my light panel and I just t- tuck it into the top of my yoga leggings and off I go wherever I am, you know, after a yoga session in the car, bang, you can do your red light therapy. I think you're right. These things need to be something that people use all the time, you know, like your yoga mat, like, yeah, I've got my red light panel. I mean, we, I've been flying around doing a ton of stuff, you know, and I even have this on the plane. I mean, when the lights go out, you feel a bit of a nutcase under your blanket with this. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that you can do for yourself when you're on the go because you're kind of, you know, we know that it's stressful doing all the travel, but you can mitigate against some of that. So I think, yeah, that's where that's where things are going. When things become recognised and accessible, you know, we had we had all this big conversation about dose earlier, and that seems like that's a difficult one. But actually, you know, once you've settled on a device and you kind of learn how to use these things, actually is very simple. You know, you can switch off from all of that and say, okay, okay, I know that ten minutes works for me. You know, yeah, that's the thing. Like you said, n equals one. Everyone's different, but once you find what works for you, then it's just like uh, rinse, recycle, and repeat. What was I going to say? What other things, kind of a little off the subject here, off red light therapy specifically, Sarah, but what are some of your other top things you do for your health and wellness outside of photobiomodulation? Well, at the moment, I'm traveling a lot. So a lot of the things that I would usually say to you have gone out the window because, you know, up until this year when I kind of the company really started to take off. I was doing like Bikram yoga like four times a week and, you know, I had regular exercise schedules I have a kung fu practice but now it's kind of gone down into my necessities of I do try and do the seeing the sun in the morning and here in England now that sometimes that is just sticking my head out the window and sometimes you know it it's standing on the grass in the dark just kind of doing a bit of grounding because 
you know, we're now going into winter and the sun's not even coming up till nine. But I do at least try and see natural sky before I start work. And I do try and do one, at least one or two hours of walking a day. I mean, these are simple, like non you know, I, I've got oh. in my room at all the billions of gadgets that I've got. But actually, if I was to be truthful in things that I do every day, walking and at least sticking my head out of the window. I also try to not eat processed food. I don't do the keto thing right now. I kind of just do unprocessed good food. I've just come back from the biohackers in Amsterdam and I was given a big pack of um, microdose mushrooms. And so I've been doing that for the last seven days. You do one day on, two days off. But that's not something I would normally do. You can't get it here in the UK, but that's just I was gifted that at the Netherlands Biohackers. And that's interesting. It's interesting because I seem to have crazy dreams. I don't notice in my daytime, but certainly I have crazy dreams. So I tend to kind of only do the walking and the light in the morning. Anything else, I kind of come and go. I come and go on supplements. I've got a lot of mushroom tinctures and things from the Netherlands. I sometimes take gut supplements. I take some butyrates and things like that. Collagen. Yeah. You know, but I'm not crazy on the supplements. I'm not someone who's taking like a hundred supplements. I do try as much as possible to get my nutrition through good diet. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good suggestions. Grounding, watching the sunrise, just, just like you said, seeing natural light, even if it's just a cloudy day, you're still seeing the the lights because if the light wasn't there it would be dark so i have to tell you because you know sometimes you know i've got stuff to do in the day and i can't be waiting until nine o'clock when the sun comes up you know i'm up at six and so sometimes it is just looking at darkness but at least i'm kind of having before i turn on any technology some kind of exposure to being outside sure yeah. some away time from from the from the constant screen yeah the constant screens which just seems to be getting you know I don't know about everyone else, but certainly in my working life, just more and more, you know, kind of people, so many different ways of communication, but it's all, I take, know. you know, I've got probably, I don't know, 10 different messaging services on the go. And it's, so it is something to actually, I have to plan type, right. Okay. I'm definitely going to do a walk between like 12 and two, you know, it's, it, it becomes less of a natural thing and more of something to plan to do, you know, find something that's not screen-based to do with, with your spare time. That's the thing. Like you get so busy. If it's not scheduled in, it's easy just to like blow it off and like, I'll do it later. Yeah. I'll do it tomorrow. And then you just do the same thing the next day. So yeah, I, that's something I've had to learn the hard way as well Is like, I have to schedule certain things just for my own well-being and health otherwise like i just keep going <laughs> i just keep working and that that's great and all but it's probably not uh the healthiest thing oh no and it's kind of goes against what we're saying with regards to healthy light but i'm interested mike what what things do you do other than the light for your health i know that i now know you've got the methylene blue which i didn't know what else do you yeah do? so yeah that bio blue has been a relatively new one the last couple of months um but i'm the same thing as you grounding as much as possible morning sunrise but just like you over there in the uk i wonder for similar latitudes i'm here in montana almost the border of canada so very gloomy very overcast very little sun anymore but even still like you said just to get outside and see some natural light i'm pretty consistent with like intermittent fasting or just like condensing my eating window so this goes against what a lot of people have even told me on this podcast like a lot of people are pretty big on breakfast or lunch being your biggest meals but i really don't eat until 
12, two, three, like that's just, it just feels natural for me. I don't know if that's the best or not, but I just condensed my eating window about uh, five or six hours. So I have about what, 18 hours or so of, of consistent intermittent fasting. A lot of the supplements I do take are, are like natural, meaning like astaxanthin or curcumin or ashwagandha, things like that, that are natural or nature-based. So I have a, a handful of those I take. I need to be a lot better about meditation. That's something I was really good at a couple of years ago, and I've completely fallen off the wagon. Recently, I've been doing neurofeedback on a pretty consistent basis. So like the last three or four months, I've been doing neurofeedback, which I found pretty interesting and have noticed it's helped decrease my angst and and stress. Like I'm just better able to focus and, and be calm and present with whatever task I'm doing, whether it's work or otherwise. Largely due to my wife. I mean, my my bed or my sleep schedule is pretty regular. Like we're in bed at nine or nine thirty and we're asleep by 10. So that's pretty consistent. If I was to my own devices, I'd probably be up much later. So yeah. there are a handful of things. I've always been an exercise enthusiast. I was a big athlete growing up. So that's pretty that comes natural to me, getting out walking or trail running or playing some basketball, just getting some cardio. So yeah, th- those are my big things in the moment. Yeah, it's interesting that we're kind of not mentioning any of the kind of high tech gadgets and things. You know, some of the, you know, it's very simple, isn't it? A lot of the things, you know, that people are actually doing on a regular basis. It really just is being outside and eating well and kind of living well, good sleep, you know. The less I work, the better I feel. Let's put it that way, Sarah. (laughs) It's just tough to get to that point. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, just keep decreasing the work at five minutes every day. Yeah. There are some days where it's just like, I can tell I'm mentally tapped out or just like, I need a, call it a mental wellness day. And like, I don't give myself the entire day off, but I give myself a major, major chunk of the day off. And I find that the next day or like the subsequent two or three days, like I'm energized and motivated and I'm back. Um, So I'm pretty, I'm relatively good about listening to my body and my brain and like knowing not to push. I mean, there's a time and place to push in certain instances, but to do that day after day and month after month and year after year. Again, I learned the hard way when I initially started BioLite. But as I've learned over the years, like you got to listen to your body. You got to listen to your brain. Like if it's telling you to like take a day off then just take the day off, it's, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. So that's another thing I guess is somewhat health related is just being more in tune and accepting and listening to, to what the body and brain are telling me. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite good at um, <laughs> taking a little bit of time off. Well, especially with you and all your traveling, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. And as far as like health, because I don't travel that much, but when I do, it's like it's taxing on the mind and body. Even the one time I traveled to Italy last year, like the the trip to Italy and back was like such a drain, and my body and mind were fatigued by the end of either trip. Just from it's a full 24 hours. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry what kind of traveling you're doing, but like that, that hits me hard, especially changing all those time zones. Yeah, I think probably it's like anything, you know, the body adjusts. And I do use a lot of these tools, you know, I do kind of take my red light on the plane and I do ground as soon as I get off. But I'm also energized, you know, a lot of these are really cool events I'm going to. I was in Miami, I was in Amsterdam, I was in India. You know, I don't find so much that the travel bothers, bothers me that much, but I do kind of do these little hacks. I do make sure I totally live where I'm at you know I don't go to sleep when I get in even if I've had a long plane you know I make sure I stay up have dinner and go to bed and that seems to work for me 
just sure. sticking to the light schedule of wherever I'm at is kind of what I tend to do. Totally. Totally. And you know, for like grounding as soon as you get down somewhere really helps reestablish or kind of just recenter your body. And like to what you're saying, just living to the circadian rhythm of, of the time zone that you're in. Yeah. Let me think, Sarah, is there anything else, any other topics, red light therapy or otherwise related you want to spew on? I'm sure we could talk all day and all night, Mike, because we've got (laughs) much to talk about. I mean, there is so much innovation happening out there. But I think, no, as far as like we've spoke about the gut brain connection, you know, that's kind of I'm a little bit of a one trick pony at the moment with regards to my own focus, because although I go to all these fabulous places and see people doing things, you know, for diabetes, for snake bites, for you know, all kinds of conditions. I'm I'm pretty much focused on brain optimization. So I tend to kind of stick in that lane. And 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 of course now this whole thing about the microbiome, you know, and photobiomics, again, I think that's something that people should look out for because that's going to become a big thing. You know, people are really now starting to understand the importance of the microbiome in health in, in all kinds of conditions, you know, even in I saw an interesting paper actually on LinkedIn just the other day about addictive personality disorder and how they've now connected that with a very specific microbiome profile. You know, so I think that that's really where I put all my focus and and that's where I, you know, when I'm searching, there's so much coming out of photobiomodulation, but things like, okay, photobiomics, they're doing a lot of stuff in Australia, you know, that's where I'm focusing, you know, what can we learn from like these new studies that are coming out about the microbiome and how can we then apply light therapy in a way that's going to help that so yeah I'm kind of that's where my excitement is like I say I'm sure we could talk all day about all different kinds (laughs) of there, there really is so much because what we're talking about with light therapy it's not like a a drug for every symptom what we're talking about is something that's fundamentally improving your health and enabling you turn to to homeostasis so really we could talk about almost any condition and and talk about how light therapy might be beneficial in that condition because we're really talking about root causes and we're talking about how the body operates and we're talking about how to make your physiology more efficient regardless of of how any kind of disease is manifesting you know you're kind of going back a step um so yeah let's say we could pick any illness and kind of talk about exactly what the protocol would be. But I think <laughs> point of view, yeah, focusing on simple things, like you said, like maybe focusing on the gut, focusing on the head, maybe focusing on the mouth, getting a, a strategy. Yeah, that that's kind of what it all boils down to after we've had all these intense discussions about different kinds of granular pieces. You know, it comes down to something very, very simple. And that's how our body responds to light. And that begs the question. Is there uh, a condition that you wouldn't recommend light therapy for? Well, cancer used to be a contraindication, people who have active cancer. But actually, when I was at that walk conference, there are people who are looking at how light therapy, especially red light, can be used uh, when people have active cancer going on. I mean, at the moment, there is not enough data to actually come out and say that. And I don't think any of these doctors would put their neck on the line and say that. Uh, but certainly, you know, if people ask me, I always say a contraindication is, you know, epilepsy, cancer, pregnancy, because there just isn't enough data to say either way. But but 
I think in the background, people are doing research into all of those things. But yes, uh, there are some things that I think it's just, it's always safe to wear on the side of caution. So certainly those conditions, I would say, be cautious, you know, make sure that, you, you know, you you're not going to do anything that jeopardizes your health, even though, you know, it probably won't. And I think we'll find out in due course, you know, the light is good for a lot of things that we're now saying don't use it for. One, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't ever make any claims for any medical illness. And two, I always stick to the kind of contraindications that that are out there. So yeah, active cancer, pregnancy and epilepsy are ones that, you know, people talk about a lot. Yeah, those are the big ones. What is epilepsy just due to the brightness of the light? Yeah, I think people can be light sensitive. Certainly if the light is going in through the eyes, you know, a lot of these devices, you know, where you're putting the light flush against the body and you're not seeing it, it's a totally different mechanism. It's a totally different receptor. So I think, again, people are just trying to be very cautious. You don't want someone to, you know, have an epileptic fear or, you know, migraine is another one that people often say, you know, maybe stay away because people have a sensitivity of light. So I think a lot of times it's just because we don't know. It's not that we know that it has a detrimental effect. We don't know that it doesn't. It conclusively, the data is just not quite there. So I think a lot of these contraindications are more to just be cautious rather than an act, you know, there's actually something that's going to happen. But but again, it's always better to be cautious. Absolutely. And and to the point of being sensitive to light, what if that person used just near infrared and then just utilized that for, for treating their body? Would that kind of mitigate the worry um, of like an epilepsy or, or, or person with a migraine? Potentially. I suppose it depends if it's pulsed, because even though you can't see the pulsing, you know, the brain is still responding to a pulsing schedule. So I would I would always probably advise not because again being cautious but yeah yeah because because you know the back of the eye you know the retina is part of the brain and the brain is going to be responding to those signals even though you can't see them although interestingly enough you know there's so much stuff coming out now about red and near infrared light as a therapeutic tool for all kinds of eye conditions you know lumathera have got the fda clearance now for the thing that you look in for uh, macular degeneration you know, and that was something where, you know, initially it was like, no, you must never look into a light source, you know, and now they're finding, oh, okay, in some cases, if it's done properly, and I would, I would say you have to, you have to research it and go and do the actual technique that they recommend. But they are finding some great results for eye conditions with red and near infrared light. Um, so it's constantly shifting as new data comes in, you know, what what the recommendations are. But certainly, I think if you know you have one of these conditions, which usually is, you know, is something that could be triggered by light, that, you know, it's best to stay away or at least do it in conjunction with a medical doctor. Yep. You know, yep. then you know that you're doing it as safely as you can. If you get a medical doctor who kind of knows about photobiomodulation, I think there's probably more of those in the States than anywhere else. But yeah, it's always best, I think, to kind of think, okay, there may be a sensitivity. So back off that a bit. Yep. And with the eye, it makes sense that red light therapy should have a benefit because the eyes are one of the most mitochondrial dense tissues. So it makes sense that it would be responsive to light. But of course, the dosage and, um, all of that has to be taken into consideration. I know the eyes, especially kind of like the skin, it's a very low dosage relative to other parts of the body in order to see a, a nice benefit. So yeah, that, that definitely needs to be taken in, into consideration. 
right light. I think anyway, you know, it's not very comfortable. If something's not right. comfortable, an indication it's not good. So, you know, I people are often say, oh, you know, I've read about macular degeneration. Can I just stare into this light? And it's like, well, you know, it's it's going to cause a lot of blood flow. You know, if you've got any issue with the eyes, you know, it's probably sensible to not do that unless it's a very device specifically designed for the eyes. You know, and there are not many of those devices out there because like you say you know you need a lower dose and you need to make sure that you are doing it properly but certainly I think you know even that that company that's got that permission to use macular degeneration I mean that was something again you know those people didn't have a solution for that and now there's a solution and it's it's very simple you know it's using certain wavelengths of light and you kind of look look into a almost like a viewfinder and you get a very specific dose of light so all of that's coming. It's just, yeah, it's best not to kind of too much try and DIY that yourself at home. Right. <laughs> with, with, with that particular device, is it using other wavelengths other than red and near-infrared? I think it's just near-infrared. I don't know which wavelength. It might even just be 850. Gotcha. So it's near-infrared? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And they're seeing pretty, obviously, if they got it cleared, they're seeing pretty consistent results. Yeah, they're seeing great results. I mean, I think there's a certain form of macular degeneration. I don't know if it's the wet form or the dry form, but I mean, that would be an easy Google search. But yeah, yeah, people are getting remission from that, you know, particularly horrible illness. So, you know, these this is where, you know, these kind of like, you know, it's so easy. You know, you could get relief from this kind of illness and all you have to do is kind of do a schedule of looking into a, yep. a viewfinder, you know. I was just going to say that that might be my my fourth area to treat during the week is are the eyeballs because like whether you're trying to prevent vision loss or you're trying to mitigate mitigate it or even restore it again it's such a simple easy tool like you're saying that as the research comes out and as things come into into the fold we're going to have more of these type of applications that are just easy to use and the impact it's going to have on your health both short term but especially long term is going to be immense it's it's just kind of like it's kind of a waiting game backslash. We have a lot we can use right now with, with with the tools we have. You just can't be too cavalier like you're saying. You can't look straight into a panel and expect that your eyes are going to get healthier, just like you wouldn't look straight into the sunlight and expect that to be um, a pleasant experience. So kind of just got to use your senses a little bit. But Sarah, let, let's just wrap it up by um, really nailing down or explaining as much as you want about the uh, the launch of your product that's coming down the pipeline, because I'm sure people listening to this podcast will want to keep their eyes peeled for, for what you're going to be releasing. For sure. So, yes, it, it's been a bit of a, a, a long journey to get there, but we are now ready for launch of the product. So at the moment, we're still taking pre-orders. So depending on when your show goes out, we'll be doing um, pre-orders. And I'll, of course, give you and your audience a code so that people can get a discount, whoever listens to your podcast uh, and it's going to be for delivery around about December so people are going to be able to get their system then and it's and it's two devices so it's the headband and the the body panel and the app that has the sound files and the meditations and you can kind of select what you're doing it the app does use bluetooth but i have a bluetooth disable switch so you know people don't have to worry that they're kind of zapping themselves with frequencies that they don't need right uh, and then, yeah, then the brain coaching comes after that. So that then soon after that, I'll be doing like an online brain coaching. And then obviously if people want to do one-to-one, that will be something that will be set up with people who are trained into how to use light for 
specifically a brain health application, but also, you know, any of these related gut conditions too. Having said that, still in the wellness category, so not making claims about those illnesses, but certainly taking people from a baseline of where they're at to better. You know, we, we all want to be better, optimised, enhanced, whatever language you want to use. So that that's really the category that we're in, enhancement, improvement. But yeah, it, I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of doing a lot of these shows, going around, talking to people. I'm very accessible. You know, if people want to get hold of me, it's just sarah at sarahthrive.com. I'm on all the kind of socials with Sarah Thrive. You know, they all come back to me eventually. So if people want to ask a specific thing, you know, I'm kind of a bit of a one-man band right now. So if people message me on my socials, it comes straight to me. Uh, More than happy to answer any questions that anybody might have. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll add all of the links to, gosh, I forget exactly what we put down here, but like your website, your your socials that you listed. We'll we'll leave that in the show notes below. Do you want to disclose a, like a, a discount code for the audience now, or do you want me to just, we can take care of that later and I can put it in the show notes. Oh, you can say what, what, what you'd like it to be, Mike. You want, we can do BioLite. Yeah, let's just do BioLite. Keep it simple. Yeah, let's keep it simple. So BioLite and then it'll be a discount code. That'd be like a hundred bucks off the, the, uh, the price that we've got at the pre-order price on the website. People could just use that code at checkout and, and the discount will be taken off. Amazing. Appreciate that, Sarah. So, Again, guys, use BioLite. Uh, what is the website again? We'll have it in the show notes, but just for people listening. Um, it's sarahthrive.com. So C-E-R-A, Thrive, sarahthrive.com. Gotcha. sarahthrive.com. Use BioLite for $100 off your pre-order of the amazing products Sarah, Sarah herself, S-A-R-A-H, has been putting out. How many years has this been in the the making? Because isn't this what you were at Biohacking Congress in 2021 for? That's right. We met there and I was talking about it there. So yeah, probably two and a half, three years. Wow. Three years. Yeah. It's taken a while because, you know, there are a lot of moving parts to kind of making this kind of product, which maybe I, again, was a little bit optimistic at the beginning, but it's good to go through the process and then you can kind of see what's involved and and little tweaks that can be made along the way. So yeah, I'm fairly happy now with the finished product because we have had the time to kind of really make it the best it can be. That's simply amazing, Sarah. Congratulations. I know it's going to be a, a massive success next Thanks. month. I'll be keeping my eyes peeled and I'll probably nab one of those myself because I'm all about gut brain health. So and it, it appeals to everyone. That's the cool thing about your product is who doesn't want better gut health? Who doesn't want better brain health? I mean, it's a win-win. Any last thoughts, Sarah, before we sign off here, any which way, whether it's red light therapy related or just general? I would just thank you for the information that you've been putting out all this time because, it, you know, it's a podcast that I listen to. And if people really want to kind of get into the, the the nitty gritty of the science or, you know, people who are using it, you know, it's a great resource. So, no, I just want to thank you for that. And it's it's really a great pleasure to come on your show. Like you say, it's been a while and I've been listening to other people. So, yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you, Mike, for having me on. Much appreciated, Sarah. As As a listener of the podcast, what would you like to hear more of? This is kind of just like a random taking a survey question, but um, I love getting feedback because as you may tell, there's not like necessarily massive structure. I love covering the research. I love interviewing uh, amazing people such as yourself. But as a listener, is there certain information you're pining for me to talk about or have other people come on the show and, and speak on? Well, as you said, we, I mean, I think we are red light geeks. So, I mean, I'm always kind of into into the science piece of it, but I don't know necessarily if if 
that's something that's that's interesting to a lot of people. And I know, you know, I even know in in my own office when I start talking about it with the engineers, people kind of zone out and make <laughs> coffee. So yeah, I I love the science part. It would be good, you know. We we've already highlighted today that there's such a need in the industry for standardization. So you know, kind of getting people. You know, if people have said, okay, this is going to happen, getting them on the podcast, why hasn't it happened yet? What needs to happen? What do we need to do? You know, people, you know, I met people that are trying to lobby to get these kind of therapies made available for more people, you know, maybe getting decision makers on why aren't they bringing these light therapies out? Because we, you know, what are the blocks? We need to know what the blocks are so we can try and work around them because obviously, you know, it's not as big as it should be right now. It's getting there. You know, who are the movers and shakers that we need to talk to to get this out? Uh, but, I, but you know, even said that, you know, even like talking to the researchers, there are a lot of researchers doing cool stuff. I'm always down to listen to people with new data. Totally. Okay. Great suggestions. I'll take that into consideration. But yeah, that's great. Like you said, talk to the people that can make decisions. I mean, it'd be great just to converse, right? Have a conversation, see what's what. And of yeah. course, I, I've always loved my conversations with Dr. Praveen Arani. So to get more photobiomodulation uh, researchers on and kind of just talk to people who have their feet on the ground and researching this stuff is is always insightful. Yeah, people like Praveen, people like James Carroll, you know, who are out there trying to do this standardized, get them on, you know, why hasn't it been done yet? Now, what do we need to, to move things forward? How can we kind of come together as red light consumers and red light companies to kind of help push this forward because I think a lot goes on you know in the background and you're not quite aware of it but we need to know okay what you know we were going to have a standardization we haven't got it yet you know what's the issue how can we do something about that that would be super cool gotcha appreciate it Sarah great 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 suggestion and thanks for again taking the time to educate us all it's always it's always a blessing when like-minded people especially you and me kind of being photobiomodulation geeks can can get on the mic and have a fun conversation. So appreciate your time, appreciate your information, but everyone check out the links below, go, go follow Sarah, LinkedIn, Instagram, check out uh, Sarah thrive. And as she mentioned, uh, you have the coupon code BioLife for a hundred dollars off at sarahthrive.com. But for, uh, for Sarah Turner, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off another episode of the red light report. I hope all of you guys have another fantastic week. Thank you for listening to the red light report. If you like what you heard today, Go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.